0: Hi, I'm Keith Deason, and this is my podcast about the history of how we make things built to last. The stories and the tales and the history is filled with the wondrous things that humans can build. So join me and listen, grab a blanket and cup, for the story of how silver came from the ground up. Hosea and Ethan, the proud brothers Grosh, through a muddy, enormous, tent city they sloshed. No gold, no wealth, no good claim to be found in 1850s San Francisco or the hills that surround. The brothers, well bred, well raised, and well taught, were blessed with an abundance of original thought. Exceptional and trustworthy and bound for success, these sons of a minister do truly seem blessed. These were the words of their friend Robert Buck, another gold prospector who'd run out of luck. He toiled, he labored, and still found no ore, and he confessed to the brothers that he could take no more. The Groshes, agreeing, took Buck to the east, where they figured they'd likely find something, at least. They traveled, they camped, and met old Frank in those hills, who took a keen interest in their metallurgy skills. I'll tell you a story, and it's a secret, of course. When I was out picking rocks, some fool stole my horse. I set out to find him, but what I found was worth more, a ledge, not too far, overflowing with ore. Not gold, he continued, but a blue silver cell, more pure than I found back when mining Brazil. I took it and showed it to rich men who invest in claims in California, but they showed no interest. Hard times faced the brothers and their newly formed group, years of labor and expenses barely recouped. Some silver we found, where Gold Canyon is forked, but it may not be enough for how hard we have worked. Ethan wrote home to their minister dad, We have hope, but no money. Our luck here has been bad. One investor we had, a man named Brown, and it's unfortunate to say he was murdered by bandits. Their neighboring miners would visit sometimes, most often a man named Henry they'd find. He's loquacious and blustery and would often offend... But in the mountains and mines, you're not picky with friends. Ethan wrote home to his father again, who noticed the rushed marks made by his pen. His excitement and urgency were clear in the letter. It would seem the men's luck had finally turned better. We easily struck silver, Ethan said in the note. We've discovered four veins all rich, the man wrote. Hosea has called it our monster ledge, and suspicions of its vastness swirl in our heads. The dark cloud of bad luck, though, soon rolled through again as one morning, Hosea cried out in pain. Ethan ran to his brother who clung to his boot, a fairly large pickaxe sticking out of his foot. No worries, brother, Hosea winced and then grinned. This isn't the worst mess we've ever been in. I'll heal and we'll dig and be richer than kings. No reason to worry over trivial things. Despite his high hopes, Hosea suffered for weeks. To the point he could no longer eat, move, or sleep. The hole in his foot grew blacker than night, and Hosea finally gave up the fight. Ethan awoke to his brother's cold flesh, his skin colored pale in the old scent of death. He cried, and he cursed, and eventually prayed, and he vowed to get the fruits of their labor assayed. Ethan and Buck set off in October. They had numerous mountainous trails to get over. They needed to find someone who'd invest in their claim, so they left, despite Buck's protests. "'It's too cold to travel, and the road is too harsh,' said Buck of their plans, yet he did his part, for Hosea and the claim, and the riches they'd found. But he had his misgivings, and it turns out, they were sound. A month into the journey, their pack-mule grew weary. These days had been snowy, cold, wet, and dreary. The nights were no better, and rightfully so, These mountains were famous for their deep, heavy snow. The mule is half-dead, said Buck with a chill. There's no other choice. It has to be killed. Our provisions are dwindling, and we might as well eat the poor beast and make it out of this hell. But that hell was unflinching, and fierce storms blocked their way. The two were stuck often, for hours, or days. Their supplies didn't last, with only blankets and ropes the two men pressed on, devoid of all hopes. No way to make fire, and wolves closing in, the two men decided to let nature win. Then a shot, from nearby, Buck stood up with a groan, and he told Ethan he'd return as he took off alone. He approached the hunters, looking half dead and rotten, but his promise to Ethan had not been forgotten. He showed where they camped, and when they found the place, they carried Ethan and Buck back home to their base. Their limbs were all frozen and gnarled and blackened. The doctor at the camp knew just what had happened. He snipped and he cut and amputated some limbs. Buck lost a foot and a half. Ethan's outlook was grim. Both legs had to go, according to the doc. The facilities were lacking, the surgery ad hoc. In the end, Ethan passed, the last owner of his claim, and Buck moved back to Canada to run a home for the insane. It was in the year of 1857, Ethan Grosh had gone to Prospector Heaven. Before leaving, he told Henry, Watch out for our cabin, and our claims and supplies, should anything happen. Ethan had told Henry about their famous strike, but did not share the location, lest to be swiped. For Henry was not a man to be trusted. Old Pancake, they called him, and after riches he lusted.
1: I mourn Hosea and Ethan, who too soon have passed. But I'd better take over those fools' claim, but fast. They struck silver and gold, and now I need to find those unfortunate brothers, very fortunate mine.
0: Henry ransacked their cabin and broke the lock on their trunk.
1: Just a bunch of old papers and samples, he thunk. The real treasure, underfoot, will be mine for the taking, no matter what laws that I may be breaking. Henry dug and searched
0: and found little of value.
1: How could those dolts from Pennsylvania know how to mine better than I can and yet still die in the cold." But unfortunately, old Pancake was a little bit slow.
0: For the notes and directions he wished to uncover were in that old trunk that belonged to the brothers. Fastidious and careful, they documented each lead, in the paper's old Henry never bothered to read. Already, other men had been exploring the area, and rumors were spreading about the massive wealth buried there, a bonanza they called it, and started coming in droves, but no one realized they weren't actually digging for gold. Till old Virginia, Henderson, French John, and Jack Yount discovered the secret the Grash Brothers found. The black sand and blue dirt that filled every dug mine was high quality silver they'd been discarding the whole time. When old Henry found out, he hatched up a plan to claim that area as grazing farmland. The rights for grazing were nebulous at best, and it was an easier way of fending off pests. Pests like O'Reilly and McLaughlin who came to seek riches but were visited by Old Pancake at the site of their ditches.
1: This land is for
0: cattle, not mining. He told them. Not satisfied with his own claims, he felt quite
1: emboldened. It all belongs to Henry Comstock, you see. The land you're mining is owned, sirs, by me. I should take over your claim and your camp and your mine.
0: Instead, they offered him shares in whatever they'd find. The digging was tiring, the work unrewarding. Even with all of the silver they were hoarding, the miners decided, with the secret released, to sell off their claims to rich men from back east. Even old Comstock, with his fraudulent claims, received 11,000, a small fortune, and fame. The new owners soon realized how much more could be found, and old Pancake had left 100 million in the ground. His money soon squandered, for he had no real plan, a destitute Henry Comstock ended up in Montana. His money, all gone, his business had gone south, and Old Pancake died with his gun in his mouth. The Lode, named for Comstock, had become well-renowned, for it was the largest that had ever been found. It had forever changed the way we mine ore, but that's a story best told in parts 3 and 4. Okay, that was fun. I'd like to thank our voice actors for this episode. That's Brett McAfee of the Fools with Tools podcast as Ethan Grosh. Bill Lutz from Reclaimed Audio as Ol' Frank. Joel Crawford from Maybe I've Said Too Much as Henry Comstock. Mike Montgomery from the Modern Maker podcast as Hosea. And Bob Claggett from the Making It podcast as Robert Buck. From the Ground Up is an ongoing experiment. It is now and will always be available free of charge. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash keithdeeson by leaving a review on iTunes or just by sharing your favorite episode. All Patreon supporters have access to bonus content, including a new series of companion episodes containing behind-the-scenes and extended historical action. I'd like to thank the following patrons for going the extra mile to make this show possible. Make, build, modify, Vincent Ferrari, Lila Naraki, MakerGeek, Infinite Craftsman, InfiniteCraftsman, Builds. Ryan Ridgely, Alex Krauss, Matt Kummel, Josh Price, and Phil Plant. Until next time, this is Keith Deason saying, Later, Makers.